to Season 3 of the Casting Light Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Mack. Here at the Casting Light Podcast, we talk about lighting, the people that do it, and how they do what they do. You can find us on the web at castinglightpodcast.com, on Twitter at Podcasting Light, and on Facebook at Casting Light Podcast. We did a, did a console the last year that I was at Strand. That's the Neo, right? That's the Neo. Uh, Bobby Harrell and myself, um, Bobby worked the software side, I worked the hardware side, um, and we did that desk in nine months. We spent, when I say did that desk, I'm, I'm talking after the specification was approved, because mm-hmm. he and I had been writing that specification for probably about three years, where it was, you know, oh, cool, this is a great feature, we should add this, we should do this, and we came out with Neo. Um, Philips wanted some very specific hooks in the console. So we came out with something to, to add to the console, to add to Philips users for the console. We came out with something called Philips Advantage DMX, where one of the things that a customer had said to me a number of years before really hit home, said, hey, you guys make the lights that eat 32 channels, 50 channels, 80 channels, and then you sell me the console, but you sell me the console and I pay by the channel for that console. So you go make a 100-channel fixture, and you make out on that 100-channel fixture, and then you go make a, hundred, a, a, a console where you charge me to run those 100 channels. And it really hit home that the customer is actually, was absolutely right. So we went and we created something called Philips Advantage DMX in that desk. And it was, it was really kind of a neat idea um, where when you patched a Philips product it did not eat into the channel count which you had purchased it's very intriguing it was a really neat it was a really fun idea and it worked beautifully um and it was a simple idea that where if people had color kinetics fixtures they could patch them all day long if people had you know uh, vls if people had strand products silicon product it didn't matter you know patch it and away you go um, you could have, you could, you could purchase one universe and, you know, run, you know, almost a hundred on, on that desk, um, the way it was set up and the way it was tailored. It was, you know, we learned a lot about how SQL servers work, um, and learned a lot about, you know, how to manage processing power and, you know, really, really had a lot of fun putting that together, um, and, and creating a, creating something from truly from the ground up because, you know, as you know, when we when we had done Palette, it was it was a build on of, of 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 an ET platform. So this was a true ground up design. I mean, we spent a lot of time talk, you know, working on tactility of keys and backlight of keys and how how faders feel when you move them, mm-hmm. and how moving faders should stop. And you know, um, we spent a lot of a lot of time, you know, going through a lot of other people's. Uh, desk saying, oh, wait, this is, has a kind of a far th- stroke and stuff like that. So a lot of neat stuff um, and just had a lot of fun, had a lot of, a lot of fun doing that. And then again, another call out of the blue where it's like, hey, Pete, you interested in coming back to New York? Now, before you go there, I have to ask you a quick question just about PL4. The PL4, when I started, we took a VLX engine and put it into a little fixture called the PL1. The great little fixture, about 2,000 lumens, um, RGBW fixture. We did a lot of little add-on compendiums for it, where you're able to slap on a wireless DMX module, and all of a sudden the fixture was wireless DMX. You're able to, um, we had a coded 
uh, handheld um, remote for it where you could actually walk under the fixture, swipe it with a laser, take control of it, and hmm. and, and, and dial it up or down for those set-it-and-forget-it um, spaces. We then, I, like, I like that. Yeah, it was really it was a neat fixture. I, mean, I had a lot of fun doing that. We had some really great engineers who worked on it and... Um, but, you know, um, for the for the Guggenheims of the world, right, you know, they want to just be able to dial in a little bit more blue and they go and all of a sudden the fixture goes, oh, I'm alive. And then you dial it up or down. Then we did a product called the PL3, which was taking three of those engines and and um, and putting them into a Fresnel format um, and, and using some of the VL technology in order to give it a. a, a, a a remote zoom, um, but we still kept things like the remote, and um, we still kept things like the wireless DMX modules that could go from one to another. At that time, we were starting to work. We were working on a number of different formats for the PL4. The format, the original format for the PL4, uh, was a was a three source engine, uh, and it it looked. You mean it, you mean three VLX engines? Yeah, okay. yeah. And it w- what we did with it is we actually used. Uh, light rods uh, in order to go into a collection system and basically be the ultimate reflector. It looked like the flux capacitor from from, from <laughs> it was really kind of cool. Um, but that format presented something because they needed to be at very specific angles in order to do all this. It presented something that was very large. I mean, it presented a very large fixture. And that was a time where trying to squeeze all of that all that technology down into a smaller space was was extremely difficult because coolers weren't quite there yet that had to be that were quiet you know vlx the thing the neat thing about vlx was it didn't have to be as quiet as a theatrical fixture so we spent a lot of time trying to make it quiet and the output a lot of that had to get dialed back in order to give it the sound uh or the noise uh criteria meet the noise criteria for 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 stage space we also spent a lot of time doing um thermal and fan technology in those in those fixtures where um the fans would only ramp to a specific cool level if you wanted it to we spent a lot of time on software where a customer could put it into quiet mode and the fan would stay at a very specific rpm to whatever you set it to and the light would be affected in terms of its output if it got too hot or you could go the other way where the fan would be affected where the light would always stay so some of the newer products that are out there do much better in terms of that thermal uh that those those chips were were a challenge to 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 cool in order to create um a theatrical fixture and that's where and that's where we kind of hit you know we really can't go too much further in a form factor this size and that was the, I think that was the hard part because you do need to be able to balance that because there is that CTQ of it needs to be quiet. Um, people didn't come here to hear the lights. Yeah. So, no, but that's a, it's a really good question. And it's a, you know, that, that fixture originally, you know, it's, it's original criteria was to hit around an 8,000 lumen point. Um, and we needed to dial it all the way back to 5,300. So that was, you know, it's a bit of a heartbreaker when you're yeah. when you're designing a product and you're told that you know what I know you wanted to turn it to 11 but you can't because physics and yeah. <laughs> physics exists a lot of manufacturers are getting a lot better at producing led ellipsoidals they're not there yet they they will get there they but in in you know, in a lot of instances they work great 
you know, there, there's, you know, if if I'm putting it into a number of venues, it, it'll do exactly what you want it to do. But as a lighting designer, when I sit there and I look at fixtures on an actor, I still have the affinity for the incandescent product. As much as I develop and design LED fixtures every day, there's a true affinity for what the incandescent product does and can do. I know what to get. I know what to expect. When I take a cut of R16 and I put it in front of, you know, a 575-watt light source and I dim it to 30%, I know exactly what I'm going to get every time. Every single time. You know, I have a I have a good friend of mine that's a ex-NASA engineer, and he used to do optics for NASA for years, for years, for years, for years. And he and I, for the last almost 10 years, have been having a conversation about color calibration, and have been having a conversation about how lights dim, and having a conversation about color points and how the eye see and, and how metamerics work, you know, how that reflectivity works. And we've been having this conversation for years. I mean, for years, for years, for years. And I just hired him. <laughs> because it's time that we're at a point where that conversation could start to become reality. Because there's a lot of great stuff on the market. And when we start talking about color, color, everybody sees color a little bit differently. But the difference is, is that the trained eye knows what to expect when they put that light at 30%, that incandescent fixture at 30% with an R cut of R16 in it. I'd like to start talking about color like that again. Really? Well, think about it. When you dial up color, when you're programming, do people still give you a, a Roscoe number or a specific name of a color? It's very rare these days. Yeah. So if you sat there and said, you know, give me a, you know, give me a royal blue, right? Your royal blue is different than what the designer's royal blue might be. But if you've worked with that designer before, you have a pretty good idea of what they want for royal blue. And if you've worked with those fixtures before, you have a really good idea of what that fixture could do for royal blue and what that idea of what the designer is. And you're going to bring that up. But is that specific? Is that a specific wavelength of what you're producing? Or is that what you know that you're going to get out of that light based upon your knowledge of that fixture and based upon your knowledge of the desk and your knowledge of the designer. That's a good question. Right? So a lot of us grew up with swatch books. And when you held a swatch book up against the light, you knew what you were going to get. You got a skin, you got your skin tone. You, you know, I used to keep inkies on my, on my drafting table all the time and, you know, take your gel book and you put your hand under it and you okay I'm going to get about this and if I mix this with this I get about this I have a lot of burned ones but uh, <laughs> but but you have a really good idea of what you're going to get um, one of the reasons why you know so many people are working in color space is because you have an idea you're kind of making an arrow to that color right in terms of a color picker or what have you um, but everybody's not going to be the same so you know that that color conversation that I keep having with this gentleman is is just that. How do we make color the same? How do we start a language that's color? And I think that's where we have to start because well, there's already a language that's color. There is a language that's color, but I'm tar- talking in terms of from fixture to fixture to fixture. Um, I might I might say okay, I'm I have a 480 nanometer blue or a 480 nanometer um, um, 
fixture, right? And somebody else might say, I have a 480 nanometer fixture. They're not going to be the same because it's you're driving it differently, right? Your bin structure might be different. All of these things might be different in that in what that LED is doing, right? Or what that LED is, even if it's from the same manufacturer, right? Because everything behind it, your driver boards, your power supplies, all that stuff. So I'm talking output. I'm talking what's sitting here doing down here on the stage. And part of that language is things like, uh, you know, we said royal blue. Well, something comes to mind for royal blue for me. Something comes to mind for royal blue for you. Um, and, you know, fixture to fixture to fixture, you're going to have kind of a different outcome. So it's, it's something that's really near and dear to my heart of how we equate, translate, and then realize the outcome of that color and what it's doing because that's where lighting is going right that's where that's where a lot of the theatrical fixtures are going a lot of the you know there's a lot of led that's that's out of the market of course right yeah. and what's the biggest complaint that you would get you know as a lighting designer or and as a programmer as a lighting professional of of when you meld three and four different manufacturers LEDs into a project, you know, the first thing I'm, I, I'm going to suspect that you're doing is building color palettes. Yeah. Right. Um, yeah, and sitting there for an entire day with all the pictures pointing at a white wall and matching them all. Yeah. And so you're building color palettes. Um, and you know, I don't know, and I don't think that LEDs are the end all and be all. I know that there's better stuff out there. It's just starting to come out in things like car headlights and stuff like that. Um, you know, remote phosphor lasers are a, are, are a huge, can be a huge asset to our field, but they're not at a point yet where we can use that technology. Okay. They are using it for long beam throws and stuff like that, but there's, you know, there's, there's a lot of other things that have to happen first. Um, so with that, we're at a point where um, we have technology that we, I think sometimes as designers, we might fight against, right? Yes. And I think that becomes a I think that becomes a, a hard part of it because you're not just sticking a cut of R80 into a incandescent fixture anymore. Um, so, you know, one of the things I think that was interesting that we had done when we were at Philips was by using the same LED array in all of the different fixtures, the the PL products, the 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 uh, the, the the psych light had the same LED as the as the front of house fixture, the same. LED is the as the uh, Fresnel, so all those things kind of work together. And now, and same thing here, same thing in Altman. We're spending a lot of time and energy to build fixtures that kind of have that same same those same aspects, right? So when you use them together, they they do the same thing. Um, but like you said, like I was saying, kind of put words in your mouth. Um, when a lot of different manufacturers' fixtures come together, you know, is the console the ultimate translator to that? And I don't think it is. Um, well, can I tell you what my dream is? Yes, please. Well, I got the idea from looking at the um, prison projection fixtures, which have the... X and Y coordinates. Yes. Yep. If if the fixture knows what IEC coordinates you're asking it for, then the fixture can make that color. Yep. And if it's not making that color, it can correct until it's making that color. Mm-hmm. And this seems like the way to get around like eight or nine problems. Yep. The, the first one being fixtures with more than RGB. Because, you know, it's, it's all well and good to have eight encoders for eight colors, but that's not really workable. Right. Really. If you're trying to work quickly. 
and accurately at the same time, which you know, I know it's great for people that can sit in one place for two months and, and futz, but that's not the world that we work in. Exactly. And and, and so the, the, this gives you the ability to actually use the color picker, because yep. I don't use the color picker because it's useless, because right. it, it doesn't give you access to all the channels, right. usually. Right. Um, it also f- solves the problem of video being yep. sent to your LED fixtures, yep. because again, they have seven... <clears throat> You know, seven different channels that control the color, right. but the media server DMX output only has access to three of them. Right. And finally, it deals with the matching problem from fixture to fixture to fixture. Mm-hmm. So if you have an arc or a short arc, a incandescent light with CMY flags, and you have a LED fixture, it doesn't care. It doesn't. Yeah, it won't matter. Now that saying that, you're absolutely right, and that's a is a great dream. But the problem is, is you you start to end up working in the confines of a triangle of what. Uh, overlapped onto those x and y coordinates of what those fixtures can actually hit and yes. that's and that's the hard part about it is because you know, you're overlaying you know I, I shouldn't say triangle because it's really not a triangle it's you know it's multiple po- it's multiple points that are linked together in terms of what the uh the the output of, of is of each one of those wavelengths of the leds that are picked for that fixture and then also on top of that, it's not only those X and Y coordinates of the fixture understanding what its output is of that array, if it's an array, but also what's getting knocked down in the gate, what's getting knocked down on the lenses and that sort of thing. So your final outcome a lot of times is very, very different than what those what the coordinates is that you're trying to hit within the confines of the of the software of the fixture, right? Well, that's why you need the feedback loop. Exactly, exactly. So, you know, optical sensors, that sort of thing and all that, but also something that also takes into account the time and degradation of those LEDs based upon the power factor in which they're run, based upon the, you know, the, the overall output, the heat and the thermal that those things are seeing. So it always knows and it's always adjusting. So, the, you know, that, that kind of that CIE triangle that's there, you know, where you might have seven eight colors within that within that spectrum you still have this whole part up here right and i'm guys i'm drawing on the table (laughs) um um this whole part up here where you know you got nothing Mm -hmm. you know so it's it's a it's a really it's 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 something that we've we've you know in terms of cal you know when we we're looking at x and y you know and there's also z in terms of its in terms of its its output but um it, it all, you're right. It all comes down to what does the thing see, you know. So that's it's it's there's a lot of um, there's there's a lot of math there in order to do that. And of course, that when we when we start looking at that, that's the whole idea, you know. But I'm not going to say to a designer, I need this by this in terms of X and Y. I'm going to say I need give me a you know a name, you know. Yes, I don't think that we're expecting designers to speak in terms of IEC coordinates, but I think programmers should be able absolutely. Should have the, I would say luxury of working in IEC coordinates, absolutely. where they can move in that space and find where they're trying to go and add depth to it and yes. make that space. I'll call it three dimensional, right? Where you have the depth of the color through that space from white right. through that color. Exactly, exactly. You know, so I have always wanted to do. And this was years ago. Wanted to do some LED fixtures that just talked like HSL, and that was it. But then I'm like, wait, nobody will ever get it, you know. What I mean? So there's a lot of back and forth, you know. How well, I, I totally you know, get the idea of using that. It, it's just, you know, in my opinion, the problem with it, programming-wise, is getting from color to color. Of course, of course. And how do you map from one to yeah. the other? The question that we get a lot is because LEDs have made their way into, you know, a lot of 
primary type education spaces, mm-hmm. you know, where where they've gone in for more or less for savings, you know, where people aren't buying lamps every day and that sort of thing. And spaces where the theatrical fixtures turn on at 8 a.m. and turn off at 5 p.m. every day. And a lot of times, you know, when it comes showtime, um, we get calls from the Mrs. McGillicuddy's of the world. Those are the, the English teachers that have been put into the theatrical role that know that did theater here there and what have you and teaching teaching the students how to do it but don't know a lot about the new technology so you might give them an rgba or rgbw fixture and you get the call how do i make light blue you mm-hmm. know yeah so things like that and it's to us it's 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 not hey blue and green here you go and you're going to get this and here's your intensity channel if you want to bring that whole thing down or up and um, but they're not used to doing that. They're used to taking a cut of R65 and going, there you go. And it doesn't um, make a whole lot of sense if, you, if you've if you never worked in that way before. Exactly, because it's a, it's a lot of times it's counterintuitive. A lot of people don't understand it. A lot of, you know, I had a customer one day who called me and said, well, we just bought all of these great RGBA fixtures. How do I get white? I just want white light. And you, you, so you go and you kind of talk them through that. But, you know, there's... Um, and and you, you go, here's what you're going to get, and you could tweak this, and you could add this and warm this up and do this. But there's also then the professional user who's using a very similar fixture going, oh, man, I need these all to match perfectly because I need this to do this and this to do this, and I have this performer over here, and this guy's wearing white, and this guy's wearing chartreuse, and they're going to walk from this light to this light, and I need this to, to kind of be the same thing and be the same color value. and um it's. I think color with LED is a is a is a very difficult conversation that we all as lighting manufacturers, all as lighting designers, all as lighting programmers, um, really need to open up to a, a a massive forum, because like I said, LEDs LEDs here for a while until something better comes along, and um, with all of the products that are really flooding the market today, the amount of the amount of stuff out there. I mean, it's 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 huge. And some of it's some of it's um, very good, and it's very tightly binned, and it does all this stuff, and it, it has a professional atmosphere aspect to it in terms of looking for what its output is and how its output works, and getting the color that we're looking for, and what have you. But tell me what happens in three years, you know, when you've let, you know, the second act of Phantom with it, where everything's all red. You know what I'm saying? And you know what what type of output are we getting now? What type yeah. of color are we getting now? So there's, I think that it is a massive. Um, community conversation that needs to be opened up and I don't see a lot of them happening you know it's you know everybody talks about how they deal with color not how do we solve the problem of and that's I think a really that's that's fair you know some of these color tools it it feels backwards it's not solving the problem It's, it's solving a symptom yeah it's not solving the problem. You know, we all talk all the time about, you know, being very tightly binned and ve- being very closely binned and, you know, being able to manage the heat of the LED and all of these things that we do in order to keep color doing what the color is doing, to keep colors consistent. But if we're not speaking the same language as somebody else, then it's all for naught because you're going to bring everybody's stuff together and you're going to get a mishmash. You're gonna, like you said, you're gonna sit there all day, all day long, with fixtures on a white wall, creating color palettes. So, and that's if if you can sit there and create color palettes. There's a lot of people out there who aren't, who can't, who don't, you know. And they go, why is that so different? Yeah. You know, because blue's not blue. Blue isn't blue isn't blue. Um, and I'll get off my 
soapbox on that one for a minute because that's it is something that I'm very passionate about in terms of how we deal with color. Oh, I understand. You know, I mean, it, so. it is it is kind of sad to get a new LED fixture and then find out that there's colors that you just can't have. Mm-hmm. Whether it's they used the the royal blue LED for the blue and now you can't have light blue. Yeah. Or they use the primary blue LED for the blue and now you can't have indigo. Yep. You know, whatever it is, you know, there's you know there's these tranches of like, you know, aqua or like salmon colors that, that just really aren't available. And, and I feel like I've noticed designs at a lot of levels, like, you know, you know not at the, at the highest levels, but I, I feel like I've noticed designs becoming simpler because of it. And it kind of makes me sad yeah. where I see people not using colors that they might have when they could have just chosen the gel. Got it. And put yeah. it in a park can. And now because you're using LED, you're using arcs or, you know, short arcs, you just can't get it. And no, well, then we just can't have it. Yeah, and it's 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 sad because all of a sudden, you know, that color palette that that you're used to working with, or that color palette you want to expand to, or that thing you want to try out, isn't there. Um, and that's that's a hard thing. That's a really hard thing because then it uh, on a on a, on an LED side, if you start building in kind of you know all those little corners of the of the triangle, all those little corners of the of the scale, all of a sudden now you have no output. You know, so we have plenty of output in these light, in these light pastel colors, but nothing <clears throat> in primaries. Right, right. So, um, you know, do you go the you know the, the the route of what what VL did years ago with you know the Broadway bulkheads on fixtures? You know, where you know you could get you could get those pastels, but you can't get the primaries or you know back and forth. It's interesting, you know, in terms of having this conversation because, you know, one of the things that we did here is you know the the, the product that we just released was an all white output Fresnel. And it happened to be it happens to be an LED that's mains dimmable that outputs the same way a, a 500 watt Fresnel does. So you know the the one of the biggest benefits to LED in theater is in the markets where power is a deal, right? Where power where where you're taking a 500 watt fixture out of commission, putting a 100 watt fixture in commission because it's running all day long, mm-hmm. you know. And so we created something that was mains dimmable. And that dims beautifully on a on a on pretty much any triac dimmer, forward or reverse phase SCR. It doesn't care. Um, and that's gelable, and that gels well. We worked with our friends at Roscoe as well. And in fact, the cooling system in the fixture actually cools the gel. So mm-hmm. taking some of the taking some of the scroller old scroller ideas that are out there, because at the end of the day, these things are going to be left on all day. Right, and now giving designers back the dimming that they're that they're looking for, in 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 the color. Now you're not going to be able to change it or anything like that the way you would on on an LED fixture, but you could get the saturates you're looking for. You got the, you have the power behind that. You have the the uh, the lumens behind that 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 gel in order to get the foot candles to the floor, and I I think that's a big deal. Um, you know, there's we're seeing a lot of white light LEDs being sold. That's you know? true, and that's telling. Because people want the life, right? But they also want to be able to gel it. They want to be able to put something in front of it and say, this is what I'm looking to do. So, you know, is, you know, the, 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 the kind of the first foray of everybody into the LED market happened to be color. You know, what if it was the other way around? What if everybody came in with a big white light 90 plus CRI LED I think the I think the the conversation we'd be having would be much different because people might be still using them that you know more like an incandescent fixture. It's true. Um, 
So it's it's you know art is subjective, right? I mean the you know everybody's going to pick their own their own fitch in order to in order to paint with, right? So everybody's going to pick the the right product for their project when they when they do this. And and you know I I I always say you know before you pick that product get a demo of it in your space you know because that color led might not be the right thing for you you know that you 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 might think you want it but you might not you know like i said we're seeing a lot of 3k whites and 5k whites being sold um because of that and i think it's a i think it's a really interesting it's a really interesting thing because they want the benefit of the led but they want the color that they want We've now talked a bit about Altman and what it's up to, but mm. we haven't really talked about you at Altman. No. So, because you started to say, and then I got another phone call, <laughs> yeah. and, I, and I stopped you. I, I, I didn't uh, realize that the, that the digression was going to last so long. Yeah, no, it's okay. But, so you got a phone call. So I was, uh, I just finished the uh, console in, uh, and was working on a, call it a skunk works project in Dallas. Something that I don't think any of the any of the management really wanted, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, Julie Julie knew about it. She knew what I was working on. So I worked specifically with an engineer in order to make an emergency DMX bypass system <clears throat> because nobody was really doing anything for UL nine twenty four for emergency egress and that sort of thing for DMX fixtures. Yes. We'd released it, and you know, it, it was out on the market, and and uh, we were at a, I was at a trade show, and I met Bob Altman years years before. Fast forward a, a year or two, we we're finished the console and Bob gives me a call. He said, would you like to come up to New York? I said, sure, I love New York. You know, I'll come up. And uh, he brought me here, showed me around the factory and said, do you want to run product for us? I loved what the company was about. It was a it's a family company. It's been here 62, 63 years. Maybe it's more than that. So forgive me if I'm kind of blundering history there. But I walked through the factory and I saw theater. I saw people who were passionate about building lights, about working with light. I saw people who, when I walked through the factory, I said, I remember I, yelled, I kind of blurted out, I go, who's been here over 30 years? And like 10 people raised their hand. And I wow. went, uh, 40 years? And two guys raised their hand. And I went, okay. And I said, who's been here under 10 years? And nobody raised their hand. Wow. So, you know, today we did a walk of the factory floor and it gives you a little bit of idea. I mean, these, these guys are here. They've been work. They've seen everything. They, you know, um, they've been, some of these guys have been here pretty much, I'll say from the beginning, but of course it wasn't from the beginning, but. Might as well have been. Yeah, exactly. I do kind of love that it's, that it's not, you know, there are some manufacturers with manufacturing spaces where it's all about, it's all, it's all flash and all show and like, look how beautiful everything here is. And it's. Well, it doesn't really equate into anything. No, it's I, like... As a user of your product. We have special tape, yellow tape on the floor that marks out the gray area in which we, you know, put the pallets of the fixtures before they go up. Who cares? You know, it's, you know... The audience never saw backstage. They never saw backstage for a reason. It's not a pretty place, right? But when you when you, when you when you sit out in the audience, you don't know what, what's happening backstage. And this is, to me, is backstage, because once all of those fixtures that are created and what have you leave here, they go into that space. They go into that front of house. They go, you know, they're 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 the element that everybody's looking at. You know what I'm saying? And um, just you know, the collaboration, the camaraderie, the you know, the the everybody pitching in. Um, 
is that's that's the type of space that's the type of environment that this that that that, that this company was is um, when I walked through it that day and it and it really I was enamored by it I was enamored by it. I was enamored by the energy um, by the people I was enamored by where we could go you know what the next steps are um, and then on, on 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 top of that in terms of being a, a product manager you know I was also asked to manage the entire engineering team mm-hmm. and to bring on who I needed and you know what have you and really was given kind of carte blanche to to create the next series of products and um, remember within the first eight months eight months eight weeks we I was I, I went through every product in the portfolio and identified where we needed to do and what we needed to do and, and what have you and presented a roadmap and it was the first time everybody just said okay looks good let's 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 move forward on that that's exactly what we need um you know i'd come from a massive massive corporate environment where there was a form yeah <laughs> where, a, where there was a form to get the paper to do the <laughs> to do the thing you know so um you know for the first six almost oh first eight months um i was flying from dallas texas into LaGuardia. Um, usually uh, coming up on a Sunday night, early Monday morning, and then flying back home for a day or two, and then coming back and you know, kind of ping-ponging back and forth, trying to keep a, a family work-life thing going, and that doesn't really work very well. Um, it, you know, thank God it was a point where the kids were in school and what have you. But um, about uh, a year ago, June, we I moved the family back here to 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 this to this side of the country. Uh, this part of the country and um we've uh you know over the time over the time that we've been back you know my kids have gotten reacquainted with their with their grandparents and 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 so forth and so on and my i one of the things that's i loved was my daughter at her school said dad we're putting on a play and i'm on the lighting crew and i don't want you to say anything to me about it and I said, okay. I said, if you have, I tell you what, if you have any questions, I'm more than happy to answer them. I won't lecture you on anything. I won't push textbooks under your door so that you're reading lighting books and stuff like that. If you have any questions, just ask me. I'm more than happy to help you. Don't try and tie in the demo rack yourself. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. But you know, no, it was great. I, 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 I stood back and I, and I, and I watched her work with lights and it was, it was pure joy. It's pure joy. She's actually coming in here. She comes in here once a week, and she helps. She oh. works with our engineers. Uh, she's right now. She's working on drawing maintenance and that sort of thing, um, where she's doing filing and stuff like that, and naming things the right things and fun stuff like that. But she's working in a, a lighting factory. She's working with you know. She comes in and you know I'll have her be a fresh set of eyes and say, "Come look at this beam and tell me what you think about it. What does this look like?" And she goes. Ooh, that looks a little uneven. You go good, you know. So you know, teaching people to see is all is a is a is a big thing, right? It's it's exciting because it's a a very family business. And I think if I'd done that in another place where I brought a family member in in order to, I think they'd look at it differently because it's a business. Yeah. And this is a family business that understands the, you know, the aspects of of having the family there. So I think that was a big thing, and it's a. It's a it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to 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 create knowing that you're a family member or your family is there to to see what you're doing as well and to to ask questions. You know, it's really interesting. 
uh, to sort of see how close everything is together here, where I, I know you were talking about being able to go up to some of the tooling guys with, with this. I'd like to do something like this and having them be able to crank it out. Yeah. That, you know, that if it's something that could serve the the products or, or the company, it's, yeah, you don't need to request time on the machines. Right. If they're not punching something out, we can use it to try and do something, make something new. Exactly. And the, the, the guys here are great. I mean, the guys here are really great. Um, guys and gals, I shouldn't say. Everybody here is is understands that we're a team and understands that we're all in the trenches. We're all doing the same thing. And, you know, like I said, well, I'll go up to, I'll go up to one of our machinists or I'll go up to, you know, one of our programmers who's maybe programming one of the CNC lathes or whatever it might be and bring them something and say, hey, you know what, I'm really trying to kind of prototype this and uh, can you take a look at it and tell me what you think? And they'll go, well, if you fold this and flip this over and turn this around, I can do this. And they go and they all of a sudden they come back and the product or the piece or the thing that you're looking to make is 10 times more than what you expected. And is this, you know, this, this beautifully finished widget that fits into the lighting fixture or, or, or is doing something that, um, doing something that you didn't expect it would do and is an added part, added bonus because they're lighting people. Because they get it, you know, they get the fact that, you know, they've, 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 they've all framed up gel, they've all gotten gobo tattoos, they've all gotten all that stuff because they're lighting people. And they, and they, and they've been behind, you know, they've been behind a leco. they've been, you know, they've been, you know, they've, they've, they've had to clean lenses, they've had to do all that stuff. So because they get that, and because they know how things are going to be used, a lot of times when I bring them something, they want to make it, they want to up it, they want to plus it, they want to make it better, because they've been down that road. And it's a really, it's a really great environment. We have some, you know, some of our engineers have been here, you know, almost 30 years. And they've, they've seen, you know, the kind of the gamut. Um, and now it's, you know, as we, as they, as they, as they've seen the gamut, it, it gives them that background in order to, to take next steps to new products and, and what have you. So there's a, there's, and, and for us right now, there's a lot on the horizon. I mean, they're, we're very, we're very, very busy right now. And I mean, we, you, you see the quarters we work in and it's, it's, it's backstage. It's well, backstage. You know, I, 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 I kind of feel like, you know, if you read lighting media or et cetera, et cetera, you won't hear about Altman doing things on rock tours. You won't see lists of, you know, gear for massive award shows with right. tons of Altman stuff, but you guys are, seem to be pushing out a massive amount of stuff. Mm-hmm. At least the way it looks to me, anyway, with it, the amount of stuff I see being manufactured and being shipped. So, what what is the gamut of what Altman is doing right now? The um, in in terms of the overall breadth of the product line, it's it's interesting what we're seeing because we're as much as we're selling an awful lot of LED. Um, the 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 Phoenix line does very well for us. Our Psych line does very well for us. And Phoenix is our Phoenix is our is our is our LED ellipsoidal line. Um, we, we offer it in a lot of different variations and variants, uh, from fixed white to RGBA and RGBW fixed variants. That being said, um, our psych line as well, our cycloramas are, are, do very, very well by us. But as much as they do well by us, we also see a lot of incandescent products still go out the door. Our 40 floods go out every day. Um, where are they going? I'm every, really asking you, where are they going? Everywhere. It's it's kind of crazy. Um, the you know I see specifications that come through here that were written in the in the in the 60s that we asked the consultant. I mean the 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 engineer. Are you sure? 
because it's border lights and that sort of thing. Um, now, you know, a lot of times, you know, our you know our sales group is very savvy and we'll turn those into an LED product or an LED strip light or what have you. Um, but those are still being used. PARs are still being used. Every Incandescent PARs are being sold every day. Um, you know, when we walked through the factory this afternoon, we saw, I think there was, what, 40 or 50 scoops that were going out? Yeah. And, and, scoops. So That's right, kids. <laughs> scoops. Um, we do a lot of power distribution as well. You know, so you'll see a lot of, uh, a lot of the 450 connector strips uh, that go out. Pretty much every theatrical applica- you know, installation is looking for, you know, a way to distribute power. So the, the connector strips go out on a, on a daily basis. Um, follow spots as well. We're not doing an LED follow spot uh, yet. Uh, they're primarily incandescent and some discharge. Um, but we see follow spots go out the door every single day. So the, the, the amount of product that, that crosses the threshold is really truly a mix of a lot of different um, tools that, that people are using out there. Um, you know, a lot of theatrical hardware. We build a ton of theatrical hardware, uh, everything from ladders to sidearms to to you name it. So, you know, you can't hang that light <laughs> unless mm-hmm. you have a place to hang that light. Um, so there's 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 that aspect as well. We do a lot of UV, LED, or some LED, most mostly discharge. Um, so there are a couple of new products that are out there that have not been released yet. Um, by um, one very specific LED manufacturer that I think they're pretty close to nailing it. Yeah. The output is phenomenal in terms of what it is. Now, the the, the flip side of that is now you got to cool it because <laughs> there is a lot of output there. Um, and, you know, that's something that we're, we're, we're looking at in terms of making better because there's a lot of heat when we start dealing with the discharge fixtures, you know, um, especially when you're dealing with um, a full amusement park ride that might have 30, 40, 50, 60 UV fixtures at one stop of that ride. So it, 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 it does. You have a massive amount of space you yeah. need to cover and you need to, you need to have it bright enough to overcome everything else. Exactly. And including if, if you're, if you're in a world where you have projection or led wall, that's providing some aspect of that, of that experience, you need to overcome that. You need to be exactly. able to sort of punch through it. Exactly. And under it. Right. Yeah, yes. Yeah. And so, and that's, and that's, so, you know, I, I, when I, I say we sell a lot of them and th- those are the reasons is because, you know, you're dealing with a very specific wavelength and that's all you're going to get, um, out of that fixture. And, um, you need a lot of power to punch that through. So, uh, those do very well by us. And, you know, we have, we have a number of different formats, a number of different sizes of those. Um, our architectural line does very well by us as well. We've just released a whole new series of fixtures, um, that we're calling gallery, uh, which is DMX and RDM. It's dolly controlled. It's local dim. It's mains dim. It's zero to ten. Comes in four different color temperatures. I mean, it's it comes with four different lensing options. So it's 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 kind of a, an extremely convertible fixture. Given is people. that a track product? It can be track. It can it, it will you know it will it will uh, tie into our smart tracks system. You could also put a C clamp on it. You could also put it on a you know put it on a, 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 a piece of Unistrut. Um, you could put it on a number of other manufacturers' tracks as well. Um, but you know in terms of control, there's a there's a multitude of different control options. Um, DMX being a big one, you know, it's it's a it's a fully RDM 
compliant fixture as well. User settable dim curves as well. So there's a lot of neat little things in it. Um, 92 plus CRI, 4,000 lumens of output um, on the engine itself. Under 8 dB at a half a meter. Wow. So that was a that was a huge breakthrough, um, and uh, the 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 life of that of that cooler is over two hundred fifty thousand hours. So you know, more than you know, almost five times the life of that of the the, the LED that's there. Um, and then at the same time, if the if the customer is looking to wash a wall with it, they put the wall wash lens on it. If they're looking for a kind of a soft flood, they put a beam wash lens on it. They're looking for a long zoom. They put a you know fifteen thirty five, and a short zoom. They put a twenty five fifty, and it's all just you know all tool lists slides right in, and away you go. Uh, so giving giving a lot of different option to the customer for those fixtures because who knows where they're going? If they're going to a retail application, um, they might only want to buy ten engines, but 30, 30 lens tubes. Yeah, you know. Um, and in the past, on architectural fixtures, customers have really been locked into what that fixture does. On the theater side, we figured this out a long time ago. You know, you want a long throw lens, put a 19 degree in it rather than the rather than a 26 degree, or put a 10 degree in it, or whatever it might be. Um, so the, the 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 thing is to take that what we are knowledge of theater and bring it in architectural bring it in the architectural world but make it look like an architectural fixture so it looks as good off mm-hmm. you know when that architect is staring at it when the fi- when the fixture's off um and that's the that's the approach we've taken it's it's actually done very very well for us we're we're just launching it now and the the orders are just kind of flying in so that's a it's a good thing um it means we got something right but um and when we showed the product um, I took the magic marker approach again. You know, we showed the product in an alpha, in kind of an alpha, almost a, almost a beta format, to our customers and said, "What would you, what, what do you like, and what would you change?" And people are always willing to tell you what what you should change. You know, of course. <laughs> so, um, you know, they had a lot of great ideas. We took notes upon notes upon notes. Um, we made the changes. We got back to those customers and said, "Hey." Remember that fixture that you saw? Here's what we did in order to make that change, in order to, to add that widget, in order to add that thing. And they're like, wow, you did that? And then all of a sudden, order comes in. Because you can't design in a vacuum, you know? Everybody's going to observe your work at some point. And sometimes I think, you know, it's it's, it's really hard. As, as a designer, as a product manager, when you take a new product and you put it on that pedestal at that show and everybody comes in and goes look at that thing or wow that's cool or that's horrible or whatever you feel like you're putting your kid up there and everybody's poking fun at it you know what i mean or they're 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 going oh wow why did you do that or what did you do here and you know one of the things that you that you learn i think from and i i learned this from being a lighting designer is take everything that they're saying to heart in terms of how why did i do that or did we do that for a reason or was that a you know was that a happy little accident or you know can we change this because they're the ones using it you know and that's i think the biggest difference between when you're sitting behind the tech table and you're lighting a queue or you're lighting a scene or what have you to making a new product so i think it's a big i think there's a big difference there tell me a little bit about that optical lab you guys have you like it well it was it was really impressive and, you know, you're explaining how you get the data 
that you need to create IES files mm -hmm. and to produce schematics of the actual fixture output. Exactly. And you know, I know that there are manufacturers who are really, really good about that, and then there are manufacturers who seem to be kind of unwilling to put their fixtures on that kind of test rig and, and produce those kinds of that that kind of data. Mm -hmm. It's uh, it's you know the I take every lighting fixture and all that data that we produce from uh, the format that the people that I'm give, we're giving this data to are my friends. They're people that are out there that are that are lighting designers that need the data in order to produce something, right? And you know we're always looking we're always looking for you know you know photometric distribution of lighting fixtures in theater. So like for instance, an architectural is a perfectly good, good example of what our lab does. We will spend we will we will spend quite a bit of time testing the output of our fixtures, um, ensuring that once um, we finalize all of our approbation testing, once we once we finish going through um, getting our, our certifications, getting our, our agency listings for UL and CE and, C, and, and CETL and that sort of thing, where we might have to turn the power down on the fixture a little bit, or we might have to do something different. Now, all of a sudden, that fixture is, now it's how that's how it's going to go into production so we'll then take that fixture and go into our lab we'll start with our integrating sphere and get the results of the testing of the fixture running at that power out of the integrating sphere what's the integrating sphere that integrate so in our lab we have a seven and a half foot integrating sphere and that sphere is you'll note you notice when we open it up is painted with a highly reflective material that's when we put that fixture into the sphere and close the sphere, there's a number of, of, of um, sensors um, that, that equate back to a light meter where that light bounces all over that sphere in order to give us what actually the color temperature is, what, actually the, what type of light output are we getting out of that fixture. Um, and it's very, very accurate because it's collecting all of that data, right, in that, in that large sphere. The um, we then take that the, the the fixture and we put it onto our photogoniometer. And the photogoniometer is a ostensibly a fixed camera pointing back at a gimbal. And that gimbal has an X and Y axis that you we would mount the fixture to. We align that fixture to the camera in a very specific manner. There's basically laser lineup points that we line everything up with, and then we start an IES test. And what that gives us is that we'll, we, will, we will vacate the room, shut the door, everything's, you know, light lock the space. And that gimbal will move through its, through its access points for that fixture. And that camera will take measurements at every single part of that movement. So now all of a sudden I have a 3D representation of exactly what my light output out of that fixture is at all angles. I can now take that data and put it into an IES viewer. I could put it into to an AGI 32 style program, take that information, and I can now actually design a space, knowing that at this distance, using this light, with this fixture at this beam spread, I get this much light at this location. Those need to be accurate, especially on the architectural side. And the reason they need to be accurate is, let's say, for instance, somebody is designing for life safety code where these fixtures might be used in a, an emergency egress application. 
I need to get the I need to get to the foot the I need to get X amount of foot candles to the floor, and it's different in all states about what my egress lighting needs to be. But and now I'm in a life safety code situation, so I need my measurements need to be that accurate so that they could sit there and say this is exactly what I'm going to give you when I hang this fixture at this height at this beam spread at this power, and that's really important. That's really important. We will check those that data over and over and over again. I think we also showed you the yardstick we use. Yes. Right. So we won't only we won't only rely on the on the on all of the technology of the sphere and the camera, but we also go old school and we'll take we have a we have a we have a basically a yardstick on a podium, podium, and we'll we'll hang that up and we will get our beam spread. We will take our measurements. Um, we'll use a like a Minolta CL500A, which is a pretty sophisticated meter. We utilize that because we also want to check our data again, you know, which is why I said one day we will paint the optics lab to look like the holodeck from Star Trek because that those grid layouts will help us to, you know, get all, everything lined up. And um, that lab is utilized pretty much 24-7. Just the gallery line fixtures alone took um, one of our engineers over six weeks of testing at three tests a day of almost eight, almost every test is almost eight hours so it's 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 a it's a lengthy process but it's necessary and if we're giving data out the data is going to be right so we spend a lot of time doing that and then we take all of that data and we carry that back into our data sheets where our data sheets have you know at this distance at this at this you're getting this and because we've done all the kind of all the pre-leg work you could rely that you know that the data that you're getting out of those data sheets is correct. You know, a lot of times you'll see that, you know, some things are extrapolated or people give you multipliers and that mm -hmm. sort of thing. And it's, it's okay. You might be close, but what are you really getting out of this? It's actually really not hard to figure out. We got that lab started around the same time that I started here because one of the things that we needed is a way to take all of the take all the information that we have on it not only anything we're producing but anything we've produced because we've been working that lab backwards too for you know almost a year now in terms of product that people are asking for how do i you know how do i how do i you know how do i get that you know i you know one of my next big project that i'd like to start on is i like to start dumping this data into our, our vectorworks fixtures Mm. Right, so you could actually take the photometer in Vectorworks and go, oh, this is what I'm getting, and it will be accurate. So that's that's kind of the next labor of love, and that'll that'll happen here, in a couple next couple of months as we're actually starting to get a lot of data out of the lab. I can't emphasize enough that when you know when we look at this data it's funny because when our guys go do shootouts and what have you people will take a light meter and look up and go yep that's what's on the data sheet and that's what you want you yeah. don't you don't want anybody to doubt what you're doing um you don't want anybody to doubt what they're getting you don't want anybody to doubt anything that's going on because a, a reading is different you know and i think that's really that's i, I think that's a really big deal because you have, with all of the fixtures that are out on the market, you have to rely on the manufacturer's data to say, this does this. You know, this is 50 watts, this is 20 watts, whatever it might be. And here's the inrush you're going to get. You know, so as much as it's only 50 watts, you can't only plug these in because this many in because you're going to have this much inrush against your, your circuit. Yeah. You know? So. Well, 
the sort of the wonders of the electricity stuff that people don't necessarily want to talk about as another podcast or another time. But yeah. that's something I definitely want to get into eventually. Absolutely. Um, so, I mean, do you have any other thoughts about Altman that you want to tell me? I, I enjoy it here. I enjoy the people here. I enjoy where we're positioned in the market. Um, we are, we've brought on a lot of new people in a very short amount of time. Um, in in order to help us take the next steps into into all new better product as well, and it's very very exciting. It's very exciting. Um, we are um, we're growing. We're growing very very quickly. Uh, we have a lot of new products in a very short amount of time. Um, we have a lot of really great customers that you know understand what Altman is about and what we do and why we do what we do. Um, you know, we have a great group of people within the organization that care about when that phone rings, what the customer is saying or asking. And it's, it's, it's true caring because everybody's been in a situation where when the phone rings and you pick it up and if there's a problem in the field that we're able to help that customer very, very quickly because you know that there's, that they're sitting there, that, that they're sweating it out because they might have an audience coming in or they might have this going on or whatever it might be. And there's, there's, this is one, a place where I see a lot of people who care about when the phone rings, you know, about the information that comes back from the customer. And it's a big thing. I think that's, it's a, that's, really a, heck of a, that's a heck of a thing. Yeah. So, um, you know, the, 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 the people here are passionate. You see the passion. I think earlier on, I said, you can't teach passion. Um, and I said, there's a lot of educators out there that their passion is contagious. Sit in the shop for 15 minutes, <laughs> you know? It's contagious everything from the guys who are, who, are, who are packing the materials to the guys who are, you know, sweating it out in the, in the paint shop every day. They care about the product. They care about where the product is going. They care about how it works, what it does. Um, when, when and if a product comes back because there's a problem, um, everybody takes it to heart and they sit there and analyze, okay, what happened? How do I fix this? And it's not just how does the group fix it? How do I fix this is what everybody's asking themselves. And that's a big deal because it's not just a job, it's a love. And that's, that's a big, that's a big thing. So before we wrap up, what else do you like to do? There's m more than lighting. Yeah. <laughs> I love spending time with my family. Um, I very much enjoy. I have a, I have a, I have a young daughter and I have a, a younger son. And I have a great wife who who gets me, who gets you know what I do, and why you know why I want to stay at work a little bit longer, or need to stay at work a little bit longer, or what have you. Um, I really enjoy doing things with my family, and it's it's could be anything and everything from you know building something to just going out and seeing a movie so it's that that one thing that that's extremely important to me that i really like doing and it seems like a good place to <clears throat> actually have some real work-life balance absolutely absolutely especially when they like lighting <laughs> uh any parting shots you have i think i think one one of the uh parting things is don't lose your passion be passionate about what you're doing uh, when you see people's eyes light up no pun intended, um, when they see that great cue happen, when they see, um, 
you know, when, you know, when, when you watch a group of people walk into a space and they look up first, you know what they're looking for, you know what they're looking at. And, you know, when you watch an, an entire audience sit forward just a little bit because that perfectly timed lighting cue with the sound cue with the, you know, as the, as that, as that actor or actress is making their entrance or exit and you go, wow, all those things came together and look at everything that was there and look what we look what we did as a team in order to create some sort of cathartic element within the audience because they gasped at the same time or you know all reacted at the same time because all those elements came together that's where the passion is that's where the that's where the beauty is and you know if if you're starting in lighting if you're been in lighting for a long time there's so much resource out there um from just not only being a lighting designer a, a programmer um but i mean you know i went from theatrical consulting to sales to product management to you know i mean <clears throat> there's so much there and take the passion with you be 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 a part of that be be the passion and that's i think that's huge how do you hold on to that there's so much in the job or in the work that isn't the job or the work you know where it's try- trying to find work or trying to get the money from the job or or trying to negotiate or 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 trying to whatever whatever that thing is that keeps you from doing the work the actual work right how do you hold on to the the passion that's a great question that's a great question because it's really easy in business i find or in in the business sometimes to 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 go oh man i gotta go do this and but i quit it to dessert because you know you know you could get dessert you know, and there's there's kind of a joy there, right? I watch my I watch my eight year old watch eat ice cream. You ever watch an eight year old eat ice cream? It's ardent fervor. All you know, I mean, step back because that kid's going in, you know, and it it's delicious and it and it's great and everything like that, and and it's it's something that he looks forward to, and you I I look at it that way. You know that if you get through those 12 spreadsheets of comparative analysis of everybody else's fixture, that guess what you get to do next? You get to work with that light. You know, you get, you know, this is what's coming up. My favorite part of product management is when I get my hands on the fixture for the first time, when it's real, you know when you know you could sit there and you could specify stuff all day long you could do all your your analyses you could go through you know every nuance of everything you could sit down with every customer in the world and that that first time all of those ideas come together and you have you know a 3d printed model or a foam model or something like that and you start messing with it and that's that's dessert that's that's what keeps you going that's where you say okay how are we going to make this better what are we going to do how are we going to flip this around you know we want to do this and these guys wanted this and can we add this and move this over and that's really the good stuff that's the fun stuff and then and then once it becomes it goes from there and it cuts to the next step and now it's something that's actually you've created and it's real and you could you put it in front of people and they go whoa check that out the output's phenomenal on this thing this is beautiful or what have you you know that you've done your job you know that you've fulfilled what you're trying to do and you got to work with light doing it so that's kind of what that's what keeps me going is that fun that 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 those next steps you know you know you're gonna have to go back to your desk and do all the all the minutiae and eat the brussels sprouts but you know you you know that there's dessert coming up and i think that's a i think that's what keeps me going 
you know, especially doing things like product demos for people. Once the product is real and you've done all that pre-work, I mean, that, you know, everybody else's energy also coming in also helps kind of keep everything moving forward and keeps, you know, keeps you, keeps you whistling the lights, you know? All right. I think we're going to leave it there. Well, thank you. I really appreciate your time. Well, and, no, I appreciate yeah. your time. Thanks very much for coming on the show. Thanks for, thanks for giving me so much time. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Casting Light Podcast. Visit us on the web at castinglightpodcast.com. You can use the contact form there to let us know what you think, and you can find all of our previous episodes there. We're also on Facebook at Casting Light Podcast and on Twitter at Podcasting Light. Our theme music is Color Me Dead by The Lame Drivers. You can learn more about them at lamedrivers.com. The Casting Light Podcast is a production of Casting Light Incorporated. I'm your host, Jason Marin. Thanks for downloading, and have a good show. Next episode, come to you.